0: morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome back to A Freedom of Ideas. My name is Corey DiBiase. I am your host. And today we're having another uh, quick little epiphenomena episode. Uh, again, these are just kind of our short little side episodes. This one actually, I, I think, you know, time will tell, but I, I think, time will literally tell, I think this one will actually be shorter. Haven't yet quite mastered the uh, keeping shorter episodes actually shorter than the main episodes uh, process, but you know we're we're getting there. Um, so uh, looking forward to this one. This is about the uh, what what's called the brain in the vat, and I'm going to explain what all that means in a second. I should say, this is pretty far afield from our central discussion, and that's what this little uh, space is for, just to play around with some ideas that don't quite fit the main narrative. But this one is is pretty far afield. Uh, however, it's also, I think, just uh, kind of a lot of fun to think about. So in the last full episode, we talked about ways in which it might turn out that human beings don't actually have the capacity for free will. So we kind of talk about this this notion that free will is an illusion, maybe even a, an illusion that, you know, if it actually is an illusion, if you buy that, th- it turns out that the illusion itself was sort of central to our entire evolutionary process, that it was kind of necessary to that process that we, that we be quote-unquote tricked in this way into thinking we have free will. Now, you know, I said then, I've said previously, I will say again in the future, and I'll say right now. I don't buy any of this. I do believe that human beings have a robust capacity for free will, a robust capacity to make free choices. I do think it happens differently than we sometimes assume, and that's what the purpose of kind of exploring these little bywaters of... of. What if we don't have choice? That's the the purpose of exploring that is just to see what the dynamics of that is so that maybe it teaches us a bit about the dynamics of the actual free will that we do have. But today, I want to talk about a different version of the sort of nightmare scenario that we are not free. Now, last time, this notion that we don't have free will, what that means, and it's actually a more complicated concept that we want to talk about today. What it means to not have free will is that regardless of the circumstances, we can be in a dungeon, we can be the the king of the world, whatever, whatever you want to be— doesn't matter we inherently don't have that capacity to to have free will to make free choices we kind of become a gear in the overall machinery of the world just kind of fulfilling a purpose where the I like to describe it as we're the middle point of an equation we're not we're not the we don't start the equation we are not the end of the equation we're just in the middle there keeping the gears churning along um, and in fact in this scenario it's most likely that there there is no beginning and end. It's all just gears moving around kind of thoughtlessly. Again, don't believe it, but that's that's what the scenario is. This is a little bit different. Um, this is not about saying we don't have free will. Um this is and, and it's it's a little bit ridiculous, but like I say, it, it's an interesting thought experiment to consider, uh, and to consider the ramifications of. Um, and actually, it's it's something which we see a number of different iterations of it. It actually goes back in philosophy. You can find the sort of beginning iterations of this in the thinking of Descartes, particularly in the thinking of, of Berkeley. So th- this goes quite a way back. Um, so consider the following. The most important, the most basic first step in constructing any kind of idea of who and what we are in the world, never mind... You know, are we free or not? Never mind describing consciousness, all the rest of us. Just how do we basically define ourselves as entities in the world? The basic, the, the first step in all that is the fact that we perceive the world. We are influenced by the world. We take impulses from the world. And, of course, we put impulses back into it. We're able to manipulate the world. We hear. We see. We touch. We, we learn about the world. We learn to navigate it. Um, we assemb- we can sort of build out rules about it. We can begin to understand it on that level of principle. Um, and again, we, we can put our influence back out into the world. We're not just observing it, we're manipulating it. And so we see this cycle of stimuli and and manipulation that occurs between the human subject, the perceptive subject, and the world, the world around them. But what if? What if all these stimuli you're experiencing? What if actually all the stimuli that you've ever experienced, every sight, every sound, every touch, everything that's come in from the quote-unquote outside and has somehow managed to find its way, quote-unquote, inside to your mind, to your to your essential self? Um what if what if none of that, what if all those stimuli, what if none of that was real? So you know, take a look at your hands. Well, you know, sorry, actually, those aren't your hands. The eyes and ears that you used to see and hear, ostensibly? No, no, they're not. Uh, the stop sign that you saw but didn't come to a complete halt at? Hey, you know what? No stop stoptional for you, it isn't there. And you know, neither is the road, or the car, or even the bread that you were going to go buy at the store. And, you know, really good news here, that police car coming up behind you with, you know, the lights flashing and they're right in your bumper, kind of looking a little aggressive there. Hey, no sweat, no sweat. You know, it's all just a ruse. It's all just an illusion. So what if the entire world, your every experience of it, what if all of that is just an elaborate fiction crafted by, uh, we'll say that the modern analogy is an evil scientist who stole your brain and importantly, just your brain, put that brain in a vat. And now he's got it wired up in such a way that your brain is being tricked into thinking that it's actually, you know, safe and safe and sound inside of a, a cranium inside of a body in the world in a very normal kind of way. Of course, it also thinks that all these stimuli it's experiencing are stimuli that are coming to it from, you know, via this body by which is, it is connected to the world. So that feeling that uh, that that those, quote unquote, those ostensible hands have when they touch something, the visual stimuli that's coming in, the things that that brain sees, the things it hears, all of that, the temperature of the air, all of that is being fed into the brain just by by signals that are kind of hooked up. The, this mad professor has these uh, has these wires hooked up to our cerebral cortex all over the place, and it's all just stimulating all of those normal signals that will be coming in via those, via the ears, via the the, the 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 eyes, via the body, via our normal presence in the world. You know, first, of course, this raises a host of, of questions about what, you know, if the, in this scenario, what is the world really like? So you know, if, if we were trying, if we were, you know, if we somehow realized ourselves to be in this scenario, like if, if you're listening to this podcast and you're convinced that actually no, the, you know, Corey's onto something this time, this is the way the world really works. We're just brains and bats. Uh, and I'll, I'll take a little sidestep here. Not actually recommending that you adopt this as your worldview. I don't think it's going to help you. I don't think it's going to help you get to sleep at night. Probably not accurate. Pretty sure it isn't. Um, and even if it is, it's, it's actually there's a whole nother debate of like, wh- what would you do? What would what would your response be if you're a brain in a vat? I mean, what what are you going to do? Yeah, There's really not much to do. So as we we'll just go out and enjoy yourself. But again, leaving all that to the side. If I'm a brain in a vat, what do I actually know about the world? What if I... I I've always been a brain in a vat. What do I really know? Um, all I actually can tell for sure is that the world is very uh, what would be the word? It's very vatty. The world is is very vatty. Vats are very prominent in this world. That's my first scientific observation. Also, it's very mad scientisty. There's a, just mad y ness is an essential aspect of the world. Otherwise, I don't know anything about the actual real world um so so, you know take for example the laws of physics that i've been uh sort of depending on my entire life that are sort of the foundation of how i interact physically with the world again i don't think of them as laws of physics but but they're there and i'm interacting with them in a a very tangible meaningful day-to-day way well none of those are real none of that is normal um You know, apples falling on scientists' heads. uh, The way we, the the way the level of effort and the type of effort it takes to walk. uh, The fact that most of the time temperature in nature is not a direct threat to my life. Yep, all that, all that, none of that that applies. That's all out the window. So now, then, next question would be: So we we we've realized we know nothing about the world. So next question: What do we know about ourselves? Was this brain that was stolen, uh, again, presumably at or very near our birth, uh, or, you know, in such a way that the memories were erased. But let's just say uh, at or near our birth, the brain was stolen. What kind of body was it stolen from? Um, now, of course, we have all these experiences of our body. What is, are those accurate? Uh, now, of course, I could be in a very different could be the same basic kind of body maybe human body is an accurate kind of body but uh you know it's a different one than the one i have now or maybe human body is just kind of this little like oh you know let's do this experiment and see what what is the least uh, appropriate and efficient way to have a brain be encased in the world. How how far could a creature get if we popped it into into that thing? And then, by the way, you know, introduce something like potato chips and bacon, cheeseburgers, and and milkshakes and and things like that. How 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 long? What kind of recipe for evolutionary uh, fitness is is that going to give us? Well, you know, hopefully that's not the way it works. But we'll set that as well to the side. So the question for us at this juncture is, what does it mean for us to be free in this scenario? Now, again, there's no, I'm not talking about free, like, how, how do we get out? How do we escape the trap? You know, under this scenario, we are basically powerless. We either accept the reality that we're in, functionally speaking, or you know, we're out of luck. I mean, there's just no, there's no way for us to interact with the quote unquote real world. So what, do, what then does it mean to be free if we kind of accept our place in this theoretical VAT scenario? Um, we've only received uh, manufactured, scripted stimuli. Um, so we don't really even know what we ourselves are, so what then does it mean to make choices? What does it mean for me to jump in the car and go get a slice of bread? What does it mean for me to, you know, stand up from the desk right now and choose to jump in the air? It, it does, I, you know, that, that's not normally a very meaningful choice to make, obviously. But at least I could say, hey, I, you know, I sat here, I chose to do it, I jump. But now I can choose to do it all I want, but none of it happened. It, not even on the level of. Um, there's just no relevance to the quote unquote real world whatsoever. Um, so it's, it's this kind of, this sort of collection of contradictory impulses. This is, this is what you call a thought experiment, of course. And, and these kinds of scenarios, are things that philosophers just love to explore now, on the one hand you can dismiss all of the experience of the brain in a vat as as purely fictional you say you know what none of this is real it's it's all a fantasy Um, so so therefore we, we kind of invalidate it right we say it's not real we know that for we somehow we figured that out we know it's not real um so we just we can get rid of it all we dismiss it all um so and then and but as a consequence of that, that of course also means that none of this is a valid setting within which to, you know, make expressions of free will or even for us to say that we have something like consciousness. Um, you know, again, th- we feel we make uh, we are making choices is no more real than the thought that we have a dog or a cat or that this is a lamp or that this is a podcast or anything else. Now, alternately, you can say that trick or no trick. Your brain is doing what it is designed to do in this case. The stimuli may be fake, but okay, fine, they're fake, but they're also your only option. They're all you're got. They're, they're, They're all that you've got, they're all that your brain has got. And your brain is responding essentially by crafting a mind in this scenario in just the way it's supposed to do. And that mind, in turn, is is functioning the way it can function the best it can function in the only world it's got now might things be radically different if you know if we got out into the quote unquote real world and all the rules were different well yeah sure fine that's a that's a fine sort of hypothetical scenario but it doesn't mean anything unless we can make it happen and we can't make it happen so so can't we just say that you know it doesn't matter that the the entire world around me is fake I'm still my brain, my mind, my selfhood, my consciousness, my my capacity for choice making, those things are all operating the way they're supposed to, just in the in a very different scenario than perhaps we uh than perhaps we would have planned for. So, you know, even if the mind that's kind of resulting from this scenario is is based on an entirely fake body and a fake world. It It's still developed, it's still using language to communicate, even if it's doing so with totally fake in, in, interlocutors. The, the basic equation, the basic functioning, all happening the way it should. It, it's, it's like putting a chameleon on a fake background just to watch it change colors. It, it, maybe that's not what the function was designed for, but... That doesn't mean that that it's not working, right? Right? If we put a, a, a chameleon on a completely fake green uh, painted board that we know it's just you'd never find this green anywhere in nature. Chameleon adapts as best as it can to that green. We don't say, oh boy, this chameleon is broken because this green doesn't exist in nature. It's, you know, with the chameleons doing what chameleons do and it's responding the way it should. Can't we say the same of our Brain, mind, our selfhood, our consciousness, our choice-making capacity in this scenario. Is it ideal? Well, no, certainly it isn't. Um, But the brain, and therefore you, yourself, you're convinced that all these stimuli are real. Um... And then, you know, as I say, you reacted to them in the same way with the same faculties uh, that you would have if the brain were reacting to real stimuli. Um, if you, again, you use language to speak to the manager of the store uh, where you bought your bread, it, it's still real language. Even if the store is fake, the store manager is fake, the bread is fake, The the, the all the language, all the interaction, that's, you're still doing everything that you can to operate within this scenario. By the rules of this world, you did buy bread. By the rules of the body that you inhabit, you will be able to eat that bread. So if you used real language and real faculties to process what turns out to be fake information, haven't you, if all that is true, can't you then make real choices in this entirely fake world? Now, I'm not really trying to solve this question today. I don't think we need to bother with that. I think actually that this is not one of the questions that's really designed to be solved. It's one of those absolutes. I mean, it's a very, very low percentage likelihood that this is actually the way things are. But, you know, boy, if it is, that's uh, everything changes, obviously. But, you know, seriously, like most like any thought experiment, really, the purpose is not to solve it. The purpose is to to help to use it to help us understand the range of different questions that are pertinent to our ways of defining mind choice, consciousness, consciousness. Under more what we would call normal circumstances, uh, this is kind of our you know the 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 brain in the vat, like so many other thought experiments, is is kind of our the the philosopher's version of the Kobayashi Maru. Solving it is actually doing something wrong. So in any event, I, again, not to try and solve it, but just to sort of stake out a, a claim in this world, I lean toward believing that that myself, my consciousness, my personality, my capacity for choosing, that all of these continue to exist as a consequence of this interaction between me, you know, albeit the brain and the vat me, it's still me and the world. What defines me is not just my brain. Um, it, it's it's not even just my brain in the context of the body, it's the brain in the context of the body, in the context of the world in which I perceive myself to live. Now, if you take away any piece of that triptych or if you change some piece of it, if I if I suddenly find that I'm in a very different world than I thought I was, well, you know whatever I perceive myself to be now, that's certainly going to change very, very radically. Um, But with that said, uh, you know, if we develop this sort of working triptych of interactivity, brain, body, world, brain, body, world, then it doesn't really matter to me whether the world and the body are the result of fake stimuli. You know, if I lived out my whole life in the vat, what difference would it really make to me? I mean, it's fascinating, I guess, to wonder what happens if you if you take me out of the vat. Uh, if you plug me into an actual body, which will you know, presumably be at least somewhat different than the body that I, I thought I've inhabited all this time. So what if you do this, you drop me into a body, you drop the body into a world that is also presumably, at least in some way, different than the world that I've been in. Well, if this were to happen, I, quote-unquote I, meaning myself... Well, I, I the the very definition of I of me of myself is going to undergo a comprehensive shock. Um, you know, and if I survive this kind of vat to brain transference, and you know, here's where you really have to hope that we're we're dealing with an experienced doctor. You know, not someone who's who's doing that uh, the you know, our mad scientist has done this before. That this isn't all just kind of like a prototype trial because that's that's not great. But anyway, set that to the side. If I survive, I will certainly experience a huge change in what it is I think of as me. Um, Because I I think we can go back to this chameleon uh, analogy uh, to some extent. So if we take the chameleon off of the green painted board and put him over on the red painted board, well, we're only dealing with one aspect of change, but we can sort of admit that 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 change will happen quickly, that change will happen suddenly, and, you know, I I don't know if it's going to cause the chameleon much emotional distress, but it's a radical and immediate change. Well, we are talking about here, when we're talking about a mind, a brain, and a a body in the world, these are hundreds of thousands of, of different factors of interaction. And we do base a lot of what we call ourselves... We do base that on the way, on kind of an interactive model with how it interrelates with the world. Whether it's how we define ourselves socially, you know, my family, my friends, my profession, anything like that. To, again, you know, how do I think of myself physically? How do I comport myself physically? How much of my time and what kind of activities do I do to to keep myself just, you know, basically existing in the world? And then kind of thriving with it within it, both uh, physically, psychologically, and all the rest. So if all these things are different, you say even if there's a very uh, small perceived difference between the VAT world that I've been in and the sort of my new, quote unquote, new real world, the fact that presumably I was living in a VAT most of my life, that's going to be a, a pretty uh, life and me changing experience. Um. But, uh, you know, for all that, so say we've got this radical change that's happened, would we say that the self, myself, the actual person undergoing that significant change, does it cease to be me? Do I stop being me and start being someone else who will then, you know, of course, start calling himself me, obviously, but, you know, is is there a break between Corey in the vat and Corey in the world. Yeah, I mean, it's gonna be it's gonna be an extreme. I'm gonna mark the day, right? This is gonna be something I remember happening, and there's gonna be a. It's one of those before and after style experiences, which is how we typically describe events of of trauma. Which you know, again, this is all theoretical and it's all fantasy, but this would be a traumatic event. Um, and yet for all of that the self, the me that is experiencing all these things, the me that was in the vat, and the me that has now been taken out of it. I don't think you can say that those me's are two totally, totally, absolutely different creatures. But again, Having said before that I don't think there's any need to solve this, I will say again, I don't think there's any need to solve this. And if you disagree radically with what I'm saying, it's like, no, 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 you're wrong about this, that, and the other thing. No, 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 you're not making real choices in the vat. Well, that's actually fine. That's kind of the, the, the thought experiment working the way it should. Um, this is all about us being able to flush out, you know, okay, why? So if I feel that my free will has adequately expressed itself in the VAT, even though none of the actions were real—they were literally, to uh, plug the title of the show— all of my actions all of my all of my choices were epiphenomenal they, by definition they've not had any real impact in the world because they haven't existed in the real world so but i still believe that choice exists there you disagree with me well good excellent T- you know tell me why the why is really of course the, the key to all of this that's what we're trying to get at when we get into these kind of goofy little thought experiments um, but, okay, that was just, like I say, uh, our little uh, interesting, hopefully, interesting little backroad journey to amuse us. Uh, while we are already sort of preparing ourselves to get back on the road to, should I say, face our demons? Or I guess we're just facing the one demon. We're facing Laplace's demon. Uh, and we're going to do battle, kind of, sort of. Uh, you know, maybe maybe not doing battle so much. But we're going to... We're going to talk a lot, and we're going to think, we're going to think some too, and hopefully, by so doing, we will manage to take back our freedom. I certainly hope you'll join me then. I'm looking forward to it. (music)